Today, we begin a sermon series entitled, A Season of Growth, which is also our theme for the upcoming stewardship campaign for 2022. In preparing for this morning, I've been trying to put myself in in your position, imagining what it would be like to receive a stewardship sermon on financial giving. Some may be ready to stop listening right now. Others might be sitting with arms folded, thinking there's nothing this guy can say that will make me change the way I approach giving. Others may be thinking, I've heard a lot of pitches for money, and here comes another one. And still others may be a bit more open, thinking, okay, I'll hear what he has to say. And, if I'm lucky, there might just be some of you who are thinking, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I'm ready for something new and for growth. The bottom line is, I can't pretend to know exactly what you're thinking or feeling. In the same way that I've tried to imagine what it's like to hear this sermon, would you take a moment to consider what it's like to preach this sermon? Imagine that your job is to communicate with the entire congregation about the need for giving as part of God's family, and how together it's, it's our responsibility to support all the financial needs of our church. To put it mildly, it's daunting and a bit nerve-wracking. For whenever one seriously addresses the issue of money and stewardship, one runs the risk of touching a sensitive nerve. I had a, a crown put on this past Thursday, and it reminded me of the story where a dentist had a nervous patient who needed a a tooth extracted. Every time the dentist was about to begin the procedure, the patient clamped his jaw shut. The dentist took his assistant aside and explained that at the very moment he posed the forceps, the assistant was to give the patient's hip a vicious pinch. The pinch was administered, the patient's mouth flew open, and the tooth was quickly extracted. There, said the dentist. That wasn't too bad, was it? Gee, thanks, Doc, but who would have thought the root ran so deep? At the risk of touching a sensitive nerve, I would like to lift up the challenge of faith. We we are all encouraged to dig deeper within ourselves to see how God is moving us to share our financial resources. In a century prior to electricity, A young reporter wanted to know how an elder Scotch gentleman had accumulated so much wealth. Well, it's a long story, said the old man. And while I'm telling it, we may as well save the candle, wherewith he blew it out. Never mind about the story, said the reporter. I understand. Well, this this quickly brings us to our parable for today. Let's deal first with the man who was given one talent so that we can get on to the real potential of the story. Here was a man who expressed what I call a sit-on-it faith. He took the talent that had been given to him, and he proceeded to dig a hole and bury it. And then upon his master's return, he was harshly condemned, stripped of the talent, and thrown outside the community. Now such severity of judgment disturbs us. For there have probably been times when we have 
sat on our talents. And what is it that keeps us, like the man with the one talent, from letting go and risking rather than holding on to what we have? Verse 25 states it plainly and simply, fear. Fear is probably the greatest immobilizer in the world. It it prohibits the releasing of that which one has. Fear convinces us that to let go of anything means that, that part of our very self will be lost. I will be nothing, we say to ourselves. But our text flips that falsehood upside down. The one who is motivated by fear and who wanted to control and hang on completely was the one who, in the end, lost what he so desperately tried to hang on to. The warning to us seems clear. Don't be guilty of defaulting or hoarding what has been entrusted to you. And this leads to our first growth step from our text. We've all been given resources. To use the language of the parable, we have all been given the materials, the possessions, the stuff of life by God. Along with our our minds, our hands, our skills, and our talents. You see, the word talent has a double level meaning. Originally, it was a measure of weight and later became a fixed amount of silver or gold roughly about $5,000 by today's standards. But it also carries with it what we generally think of as a gift, an ability to do something. Isn't it interesting that these two meanings merge? For money often provides the ability to do something. Today, we're looking at money as gift. The key to the entire sermon is wrapped up in one of two simple yet profound perceptions. Do we view the stuff of life, money, treasure, possessions, and things as ours or as gifts from God? This fundamental issue determines whether we are possessors or stewards. John Versteeg is convinced that In stewardship, you don't begin with money. You begin with God. If God is the giver of all gifts, of all that we are and all that we have, then it is not a problem but an expression of gratitude to give back a significant portion of what has come to us. This is what's called proportionate giving. Through this year's stewardship campaign, Perhaps we are each being asked to give a percentage of the monies we have available to us through our income and investments. But if, on the other hand, everything I have is mine because I earned it, then I will resent being asked to give anything away. The point is, we have all, every one of us, been blessed with resources. Boxer Sugar Ray Leonard, who happens to be the same age as me, was once speaking to students at Harvard University. He said, I consider myself blessed, and I consider you blessed. We've all been blessed with God-given talents. Mine just happens to be 
beating people up. Well, unlike Sugar Ray, ours, as a people of faith, just happens to be building people up. It was the theologian Paul Tillich who once observed that religion is first an open hand to receive a gift, and second, an acting hand to give gifts. And this brings us to our second growth step, and that is response. The resources we've been provided offer us the chance to respond as the master's stewards. It's amazing that in 17 of his 37 parables, Jesus dealt with property, possessions, and wealth, and our responsibility for using them wisely. Here in today's text, we read, The man who had received $25,000 went out at once, and by doing business with this sum, he made another 25000 Similarly, the man with 10000 made $10,000 more. You see, these two stewards were going for growth with the gift of treasure, and they were growing in giving as they sought to give the gift back to the giver. In our Exodus text, we read about the importance of gifts and giving. That was back in their time, thousands of years ago. But all the offerings in the Old Testament speak of the importance of giving out of gratitude and giving to God because God is worthy of our gifts. And the biblical standard, from a percentage standpoint, from a proportionate standpoint, is a tithe. It's 10%. And that may seem like a large amount, but that is the percent that the Bible lifts up for us to be challenged by. Because we are truly called to be growing and giving. The late Rabbi Joshua Liebman wrote, Life does not demand that we be perfect. It requires only that we grow. Growing and giving, that's the challenge of our text for today. Growth, in a spiritual sense, is always a choice. Change, as we discussed last week, is a given. Growth, growth is a choice. We can be growing in our giving precisely because we've been blessed. The gift of treasure, of resources, calls forth response. Growthful response, which leads finally to reward. Again, from Matthew. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I've made five talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Come and enter into the joy of your master. Now, be sure you notice that the reward 
is not life on easy street. It's the gift of greater responsibility. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. And come, share in God's joy. The great Jewish theologian Martin Buber offers this profound insight into the nature of joy. Joy must not be the goal toward which you strive. It will be vouchsafed to you if you strive to give joy to God. Your personal joy will rise up when you want nothing but the joy of God, nothing but joy itself. And that's what growing in giving is all about. At the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned the risk of preaching on money. And I'm going to take a risk right now because I am very serious about it. And it's this. If you're unhappy about the amount of money you're giving to the work of this church, then I suggest you do one of two things. Either stop giving altogether or start giving more. Friends, giving, truly giving generously, is one of the most spiritual things you can ever do. And I I don't want unhappy or resentful givers in our church. I want us to know the joy that comes by sharing as Christ's body of caring. For me, it is a true joy to share in the work and ministry of the neighborhood church. As together, we seek to serve God. And our reward, should we choose to be growing in giving, is increased responsibility and the joy we share together and doing the ongoing work of this church, the ongoing work of this church in our time and place. In this way, meeting the funding needs of our church will not be a struggle, but a joy. The medical missionary Sir Wilfred Grenfell once said, real joy comes not from ease or riches, or from the praise of others, but from doing something worthwhile. Growing in giving. Resources, response, reward. These are the three elements of growth potential from our parable. Verse 14, And the master entrusted to them his money. Resources. Verses 16 and 17. The two given the larger amounts multiplied what they were entrusted with and gave back twice as much. Response. In verses 21 and 22, the master said to those two, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Come. Come and enter into the joy of your master. Reward. God blesses us with the gift of resources, offering us the opportunity for response to be faithful stewards and shares with us the reward of increased responsibility and joy. For as Joseph Marmion reminds us, joy, joy is the echo of God's life within us. One of my great joys here at the Neighborhood Church is sharing in ministry with Michael Moorhead.
And rather than close this sermon with an amen, he and I would like to share a conversation together. Michael and I thought it would be a nice idea to just have a conversation uh, about the importance of giving and the importance of the neighborhood church and invite you to be a part of that just by joining us here in this setting. So, uh, Michael, thanks for taking the time to talk with me about this. And um, I thought it would be good since we're asking people to to think about people in their lives who have made a difference. Um, it might be good for us to start with ourselves. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about why you give, why it's important to you, and if there have been experiences or other people in your life that have helped to shape that. Well, uh, as a kid, I knew about generosity and I knew about the concept of giving. But it took a lot longer than being a kid for me to realize the power that those two concepts have. And when I really realized the power is when I was asked to be on two boards of nonprofit organizations. The one dealt, one dealt with kids in foster care and the other dealt with cancer patients. And when I started doing that, I saw the power and the ability to change lives through time and through resources that people can give. Both organizations were dependent on donations. And I'll just tell one quick story. The organization was called CASA, and what we were trained to do is to go into court and speak only for a child in foster care. We had no other interest. So I was called one day to go out and see a family, and I was told to get there early in the morning because it was dangerous to go at any other time. So I did. And I walked to what I thought was the house where they were, and it wasn't. They lived in a house in the backyard. It actually wasn't a house. It was a garage. And I walked in, and I thought, I'm not going to let this child stay in this setting. But then I saw the parents. Then I saw the love, and I saw how clean this garage was. And I said, okay, this is fine. There's a lot of love here. But I also said, they need help. They need help. And I, through resources and time, can help them. And I did. And it was a very powerful moment where I realized the power of generosity and the power to change lives. Hmm. Well, my experience um, for that was influenced probably most profoundly by my parents. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, probably 14 or 15 years old, my parents sat me down and wanted to have a conversation. And they shared how uh, in their life they had not been experiencing much depth or meaning. They were part of a country club and they were part of a fast-moving social set, um, but they just were lacking that depth. We went to church every Sunday or most Sundays. We went to church and were part of the church. But they felt they were at a crisis in their relationship, and so they had a three- or four-hour conversation, which they talked about what were the most important values in their life. And they realized that God and our family and the church were the most important things. And so they made a commitment to give more of their time to the church and to give 10% of their income, a tithe, 
to the church. Now, at that time, I had no idea I was going into the ministry. I had no, not even an inkling that I would go into the ministry someday. But that experience and their commitment just stayed with me. And so when I became a minister and when I actually started having an income, I realized I would try that. And I did. And Michelle and I have been doing it ever since. And we don't regret a single penny that we give to the church and to the other organizations that we care for because it, it makes a difference to make a gift and a contribution that isn't just an amount you can afford, but something that you actually have to stretch for to do. And when you do it, you know how good that feels because it truly can make a difference. And that's why the neighborhood church is so important to us and our sense of giving. Some people wonder, does the minister actually make a gift? Yes, we make a pledge. And uh, and I know you do, too. And I think that it's important that we lift up the value of the neighborhood church. I agree with you completely, David. Um, when I was still serving on those boards, I became a member of the neighborhood church. Mm. And I realized that this institution, more than those nonprofit organizations I was serving, has a much greater power to help people, to aid people, to change their lives. And so that's why I give so much of my time and my funds to help us do that, because that's what it takes. Right. Well, we just want to let you know that in the coming week, later this week, uh, you can expect to receive, those of you who are members of the church, can expect to receive a stewardship packet with a letter coming from Michael and me, uh, just encouraging you to give and think about and pray for your abilities to provide resources that undergird the ongoing ministries of the neighborhood church. We want to be honest with you today. Uh, this is very important. This stewardship campaign, I think, is more important than any we've ever had. And I've been around here a long time. And it's pretty obvious. We have been ravaged by the COVID epidemic. We have tried to deal with it as best we could. But this particular time, this particular stewardship campaign is far more important, in my opinion, than any we've ever had. Because there is a real need here for your help, for your donations. And so I ask you to think of this campaign as the most important thing you have seen at Neighborhood Church and perhaps the most important thing you have seen when anyone has requested your help, because it is that important right now. Well, thank you, and uh, we appreciate you joining us uh, in this conversation.